In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's be seated. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. These past few weeks have been a wintry mix of exhilaration and exhaustion for me. I have experienced moments of grace in both the heart-filling joys and the sorrowful despair of others, all becoming a part of my story, too, through relationship. In all of them, the master weaver has intertwined with compassion for my colleagues and laity, friends and family, and people whom I will never know. I have seen the face of Mary, the mother of Christ, over and over again. Mary's facial features have settled on the cluttered canvas of my heart, images burned in even as I turn my head to look away. I see her. I see her and not the familiar images of the Blessed Mother, the Queen of Heaven, that we see during the Advent and Christmas celebrations. I haven't seen the milky pale skin, the Mona Lisa stillness of her tender expression. Hers has not been the face of the pure virgin that Hallmark presents on their greeting cards. The Mary I've seen has been one who is dark and preoccupied, distressed and weary, with wild eyes that have no peace. Not the Theotokos, not the bearer of the Christ, not the one wrapped in the blue of royalty, not one of Raphael's Marys with the chubby cherub Jesus and the John the Baptist who are always way too hairy to be toddlers. Neither Botticelli's blonde praying Mary, no Caravaggio's Buck's um, mature Mary. The Mary who haunts me is a haunted Mary, the Mary of a 19th century, 1824 to be exact, painting by a largely overlooked French painter, Léon Cognier. You may have seen this image, too. The painting's been circling the holiday drain of the social network for weeks. Cognier's depiction is entitled, Sin du Massacre des Innocents. Today, it hangs in the Museum of Fine Arts in Rennes. It's a painting, maybe of the Madonna and a child, every mother and child, really. Not in a protected and soothing and toasty animal cave, but hunkered down against a bone-chilling wall, temporarily concealed from the murderous soldiers of King Herod. Every year on December 28th, which is yesterday, Christians commemorate Sin du Massacre des Innocents, the scene of the massacre of the innocents. We usually miss it because we close the church down from the 25th through after the new year, but this Childermass, or Innocence Day, it's a remembrance of the slaughter of the young children in Bethlehem 
by King Herod the Great, as we hear in the second chapter of Matthew's Gospel account. This raging Herod, threatened by the news of the newborn Jewish king, he orders the extermination of all the baby boys in the land. Herod, the stooge in this patsy of the Roman Empire, he represents all that is wrong with the crazed and uncontrolled power and corruption. The slain children were regarded by the early church as the first martyrs. Well, in Cognier's painting, we see the resulting chaos and violence in the streets as innocent people flee for their lives. And most painters of this scene, they turn it into a huge biblical spectacle, making it a revolting tableau of death and mayhem. But Cognier focuses our attention on one petrified woman, a mother who knows she is about to lose her child. And she envelops her doomed babe, her bare feet revealing how vulnerable they are. There's no way to run, and she is cornered. She will not go silently into that good night. But wisely, Cogne, he doesn't show us the carnage It's hinted at in running figures that are in the background, a woman with two children as she comes down the stairs running for their lives. But instead, he shows a level of artistic restraint not seen in many depictions of this story. He forces everything to the background in order to draw our attention to one woman's terrified face. And she looks out at us with a chilling mixture of defiance and pure fear. I saw the painting for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And all I could think of was all the mothers and the babies, displaced children of God, being held against their will in camps. The beloved community caught in the middle of armed hostility all over the world. I saw them looking out at me. I saw them looking at us in our comfortable living rooms, in our not-so-comfortable but still comfortable pews, as if we were their assailants. I saw the pleading eyes of the mothers piled at our own southern border, the desperate and begging eyes of the mothers in Guatemala, in Gaza, and Cameroon and Yemen, the terror-filled eyes of the mothers in Syria and Somalia, too many mommies and too many babies, all breaking my heart and accusing me at the same time. I wondered, does my entitlement, does our entitlement and privilege force those mommies and babies against the wall and suffocate them? My preparatory advent felt more like a penitential Lent this year. Hear our prayer, I prayed. Prayers for them, prayers for me, prayers for our country, for the world. Hear our prayer and let our cry come to you. I suppose you might say that prayers were answered around Advent 4. 
Those accusing eyes of Mary, they became my own eyes. I was no longer simply the cause of her misery, and instead, I joined in her pain. Prayers answered. Some of you may know that I was a police officer in Kentucky for some years. And I remembered how it felt to hold a screaming child victimized by domestic violence. And I remembered the pure fear that rose when, through the crumpled wreckage of a vehicle, I could see a tattered stuffed animal beside the rear passenger tire and a child's seat twisted and crushed in the back seat. I remember praying that nobody would be in the car, dead or alive. I remember the fury that filled my body when baptizing a silent baby who'd been shaken and would not live to see the morning. Prayers answered indeed. But rather than distress and gloom, I began to feel a slow burn of resentment. And this Christmas, I clung to the prophet Isaiah's words with all the hardened resolve and hope and ravenous yearning that I could muster. Isaiah writes, So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. I will not rest until vindication shines out like the dawn and salvation like a burning torch. The Hebrew word translated as both righteousness and vindication in today's reading from Isaiah is God's overflowing mercy. It is a transformative acclamation ushered in with equity and integrity and divine glory. Righteousness and vindication became my prayer. An urgent plea for God to set things right once and for all. We need it now, God, I prayed, like the psalmist of this morning. Now is the time to lift up the lowly and cast the wicked to the ground. Do this now, God. Now is the time to heal the brokenhearted and bind up the wounds. Now is the time for peace on the borders. And as I sat in the dark shadows of that wall with Mary, watching evil and murder cascade down the steps beside me, how I pleaded for that promised vindication. And then on Christmas Day, with the peace and the spirit of Christmas Eve with me, with remembrance of the toddlers and children carrying pieces of the creche to God's altar, and with youth carrying socks and fruits and breads to God's people experiencing homelessness in our neighborhood, even my resentment began to fade. And I was no longer simply Mary, nor her oppressor. Suddenly I understood that I was also the baby in her arms. Relying on God, securely wrapped in love, now it was Christ who bore the sad eyes and the haunted strength. It was Christ who held the line against the vicious and the foul. It was Christ who held me in his protective arms, not about to let anyone or anything harm God's beloved child. The Apostle Paul understood. Today we read his words to the Galatians 
When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. An heir of the kingdom. Such an extraordinary Christmas gift, should we but open it. God shed the garments of glory and power and bundled himself instead in remnant cloth with a scent of animal dung and half-consumed hay all over it. God has saved God's best wardrobe to clothe us in our nakedness. God has given God's adopted children the shining garments of salvation. God has covered us with Isaiah's robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God has adopted us, clothed us in glory and love, each of us, all of us. And God is holding on to us no matter what. No matter what, no matter the horrors that rage in the world, no matter the horrors that rage in our lives, no matter how many times we miss the mark or how many times we have to start again. And when we are Mary, inextricably bound with her in the massacre, and even when we loom over her casting our own sinister shadows, We have been redeemed by this anointed baby whom she holds. Redeemed, saved, so that we too can join with God in the demanding and imperative work of transformation and justice. Pastor Howard Thurman, the African-American theologian and educator and civil rights leader, wrote it best. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, and to make music in the heart. Now the work of Christmas begins.